Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teamwork A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the incomparable Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? Wonderful. I am wonderful. So happy to be with you this beautiful morning, Christian, and uh, love your your energy. Maybe it's because uh, you were up in the beautiful mountains this morning. Yeah, it was cold up there, 36 degrees. Uh, we, we drove up the canyon hoping to be able to walk around a lake, but A, the lake was still frozen. B, there were about three feet of snow uh, covering the walkways and the pathways. So we just got up on the snow and took a few photos and drove back down the canyon, but it was still a lot of fun. We enjoyed Send it. Those, I'd love to see those photos. Post them somewhere now. Sounds yeah, sounds they're on my wife's phone. She's going to have to do it. I didn't take the picture she did, but uh, yeah, it was it was great. Uh, we had a long weekend, Spencer. Did you have a nice weekend? Excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> still recovering from bronchitis, but uh, you know, had some time with family and jeez, spent some time um, just getting ready for a, a big move that's coming up, and so it was a it was a working weekend. Oh, well, I'll ask you about the move later, but uh, we've got a great topic for for our listeners and our viewers today. Love what you do, nurturing happiness and passion in the workplace. I know you love what you do. I love what I do, but uh, many people don't for various reasons. And I, you know, it would be my goal, my wish, you know, that people could find happiness and join the workplace that... Uh, no matter their profession, and and I'm and I'm curious, you know, what what is it that uh, you've you've talked a lot about this, you've written about this before. Uh, what are you seeing out there right now in the workplace that is, you know, brought this back to the to the fore? Yeah. So a couple things. Thank you. Thank you for the question. You know, I, uh, I I get to coach a lot of clients. I, I love spending time with with people and helping them to uh, find success at work. And we talk about challenges. We talk about problems, and you know, and we celebrate some some successes. But you know, it, just think of what we call what we do. It's work. And you know, I think one of the challenges that that happens is that, you know, we grow up and we're, we're taught, you know, find your passion. If you, if you do something that you love, this is a quote that we often hear, if you do something that you love, you never have to work a day in your life. And I think that ideas like that create part of the problem. Because in my experience, that's really a myth. I mean, if you do what you love, that helps you to put up with the crap that you hate so that you can just keep slogging on with the work that you have to do. But if you do, if, 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 you, if you say to yourself, I have to do what I love, I have to find my passion, I think you'll be perpetually dissatisfied. I mean, I, I think of professional athletes. I mean, who wouldn't want to, you know, just play their favorite sport, whether it's basketball or hockey or, or football or curling or whatever it is that you do. But then you think about the hours of just work and sweat and practice and watching of film and, and, and preparation and, and stress and, and, and anxiety or going through losses or things that are uncomfortable and, and unhappy. I think those things actually help us 
to appreciate the, the wins and the successes more. But I think sometimes we look at those hard things, Christian, and we become dissatisfied. So what do I see? I see clients that have employees that are sometimes dissatisfied. You know, you and I have talked a lot about quiet quitting. We've talked about, you know, people who just the, the great resignation and all that. People who are un, you know, dissatisfied, they leave thinking they're going to find a better situation. And what they find is it's not better. The problems seem to follow them wherever they go. So that you know, begs the question, why? What's really going on? Where does happiness come from? Shakespeare you wrote, there is, you know, nothing, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but here's the idea. There is nothing good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. And it took me a while to kind of figure that out, Christian, because I'm like, well, there is bad and, and there is good. And he's like, it, it's just depending on how you think about it. Now, when you really think about it, he's, he's right. And that doesn't mean that there's not evil or, or good in the world. Right. But in our lives, if, if what is good, if only good happens to us, then we should be happy all the time. Right. If, if then only bad happens to us, then, then we'll be unhappy. But he's like, no, you get to decide what happens to you. If that is good in your mind or if, or if it's bad. And, you know, how do you explain the fact that there is evil in the world, there's bad things that happen, and yet there are still happy people in the world? It can't just be the good things that happen to us, the good jobs that happen to us, the good jobs that we get. It's how we think about the work that we do and how we think about what we're doing that, that's important. And, and I know I'm talking too much, but that's that's kind of what I'm seeing is people trying to decide, you know, is there something better out there or can I you know, what, what makes me happy? And so I'd love to hear your response to, to that. So let me, let me share a, a story. Many years ago, like you, I served a, a church mission in Mexico. Yeah. And uh, occasionally uh, there would be uh leaders of the church worldwide who would come and visit the areas where we were serving. And, and so uh, there was a church leader who came and, and visited our area and we were in a big meeting. There were several hundred of us uh, missionaries in this meeting. And uh, this leader got up and, and as he was talking, he started posing this rhetorical question. He said, hey, have you ever been in a church meeting that was just so boring, like you really struggled <laughs> to stay awake and you just thought, I can't wait until this person stops talking because this exactly. is so boring. And of course, all of us Everybody. are thinking in our minds, yes, I've been there, absolutely. And so he's really building us up. And then he says, if you've ever been in one of these meetings and you just, you haven't felt inspired, you feel like you're going to fall asleep. Well, it's your fault, right? Because you should, no matter what's going on, you should be able to get something positive out of going there because by going and attending your meetings, you're you're fulfilling an obligation and you deserve to, to be blessed for fulfilling that obligation. I've thought a lot about this. 
and and I think to myself, well, there are really uh, kind of two sides of the coin here, because on the one hand, I think what Shakespeare was saying, what the church leader was saying is right, that we do have responsibility and we should take responsibility uh, for our, you know, finding our own happiness and nurturing our own happiness and joy. At the same time, the organizations that we serve, in this case, uh, you know, professional organizations, are not completely absolved of their responsibility to create an environment that will foster a positive, joyful culture, right? It's not like we can just say, oh, as an employer, I'm off the hook because everybody on my team is responsible for their own happiness. I don't have to do a darn thing. It's, you know, I wash my hands. So I think that there's a balance that has to be struck there. And I'm curious to hear your take on this because I think you're absolutely right. Each of us individually, we have our own responsibilities for our own fulfillment, our own satisfaction, our own happiness, our own joy. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that the organizations that we work for get off scot-free. They also have a responsibility. And as leaders, we have a responsibility to foster these kind of cultures. So I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on this. So I, I, I love your story and I love your, um, your assertion of responsibility. Yet I think what happens, and, and you're right, the responsibility does lie with, with corporate leadership, nonprofit government agencies, to create an environment where you you know, Bob Cratchits are happy to, to do whatever they do. It's not, you know, making their, their life a, a misery. I think, uh, oh my gosh, I'm, 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 I'm blanking out. Uh, Clayton Christensen has said, you know, this, this great thought leader, uh, he's the one who, who created this whole idea of uh, disruptive, you know, tech technology and, and disruption within your own industry to avoid being disrupted from the outside. He said the, the greatest profession is management. Why? Because you have the ability to influence people for good, to influence their entire lives, not just at work, but how they feel about themselves when they go home. So there is that responsibility. I think what we've experienced in the last couple of years, however, is a swing too far to that corporate or organizational responsibility and absolving ourselves from that. And so how do we, there, some people call it the Goldilocks zone, right? I mean, you can't just have only corporate responsibility and you, you've got to make my life amazing. So I need to have ping pong tables and massage therapists and all of that. And you can't just have individual personal responsibility and, and you know, a, a, a hellhole to work at. Both of those things need to happen. And when that happens, then, then, then that's amazing. But I, 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 want to, I want to go back, just I want to tell a story about my dad. And in 1988, I was sitting in a, a college class up at the University of Utah, and I, I received a, a notice. They came actually to the class and said, hey, you need to call home. Didn't have a you know, cell phone back then. You need to go home. My father had just had a, a major stroke. And this is a stroke that has you know, impacted him for the rest of his life. He was my age right now, 58, 59 years old. And um, he ended up becoming, you know, incapacitated. And the stroke was a result of just what was happening in his business. He was a successful entrepreneur. He had a business. And 
at the time, you know, I'm, I'm eight, you know, eight, I was a young man a couple years earlier, I had introduced him to, he needed an accountant and I introduced him to someone who I knew through church that was an accountant. Well, this person ended up being uh, dishonest and caused my father to, um, lose his business. Long story short, he, uh, was under stress. He lost his home. He lost his business it impacted our entire family in a hugely negative way. That was my future uh, working. I was going to be taking over the business someday. That was our inheritance. That was everything that, uh, you know, he'd worked so hard for our family was gone. And the stress and anxiety from that caused him to have, have a stroke. Now, we ended up living with him. He lived with us. You know, we, we were his caretakers for, for many, many, many years. And... It was just pretty miserable. The family was very unhappy. Yet my dad chose to, I learned something very valuable from him. My, ch- my dad chose to, to, to let all of that go, to forgive the person who did this you know, terrible thing to him and to our family. And he decided, you know, I, I'm going to take this time and, and enjoy it. I'm going to be happy, even though, you know, he made fun of how he's, his slurred speech was. He... he was engaging with people. He loved to talk to people. He had more time to do the things that he loved and he chose to be happy. And it was such a great, you know, example to me that here's something that's so horrific and terrible that happened to him yet. How can he be happy? Because it's not about our circumstances, Christian. It's not about what we choose to do as a career. I have a, a, a client and friend by the name of Marcus Gray great individual. He has a company called Odyssey College Career Prep, and he's helped two of my children um, assess their their skills and strengths to help them identify what would be a great uh, major for them to study, which would then lead to to a a career where they would be happy. And I think there is benefit from identifying and aligning your strengths with a profession that helps you to use those things that you're interested in. I think it's beneficial to find a career that you are excited about. But what if you end up being a a bricklayer because that's what your strengths are and you don't have that education? Can you be happy in a place like that? What if you are just an accounts payable clerk because that's what your opportunities provide for you? Maybe you didn't have the opportunity to have a career coach and go to this great uh, university and instead you had to drop out of school to take care of children or you're a single parent and you're a payroll clerk. I mean, you know, we're, we're not talking about uh, amazing career opportunities that exist everywhere you look. You just got to find, you know, cherry pick that right one. There are some jobs that are just mundane. And can you be happy in that? I think that's a big part of what I what I wanted to explore and discuss and give our listeners some ideas on how they can be happy with that. Well, I'm very eager and curious to hear your ideas. Uh, leading into that, Spencer, my wife and I have been binge watching uh, a series called Alone. I don't know if you've heard of this show, uh, but basically... Uh, what they do, it's it's kind of a reality television show, but what they do is they t- have 10 people and they put them out in the wilderness by themselves. No camera crew, 
they're completely isolated. They're they're allowed to bring 10 items with them to survive. And, you know, they have to build shelters and they've got to find food and, and, and whoever, whoever stays out in the wilderness the longest ends up winning half a million dollars. And it's interesting to hear the perspective of some of the contestants on these shows after they've been out by themselves for 30 days or 45 days or 50 days who are saying, you know, the, I, I'd love to have the money. It would be life-changing. I hate, I, you know, I hated my job as an electrician or working in a factory building RVs or, you know, inhaling fiberglass particles and all this kind of stuff. Right. But at the end of the day, I'm starting to realize what's really important. And what's really important is my family and just being with them, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe my job wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Uh, maybe, you know, I can spend more time with my family. I can find some more work-life balance. Uh, it just kind of helps them in some cases, not all, uh, you can see them kind of reorienting their priorities, you know, when they are taken out of a situation. And, and I think some of it is certainly, um, you know, as simple as account your blessings kind of a thing where, uh, I, maybe, maybe you, you don't realize what you've got until that is all taken away. And then when you're left to your own thoughts, you can kind of gain a bit of a perspective. You know, it's it, you. You bring up something that I, I hear a lot, also in the workplace, where people want to have more work-life balance. You, you, you've heard it said. You know, your your kids, or if you have them, or your significant other, if you if you don't, you know, you're are you really going to re remember the time you spent at work or in the office, or the time you spent with people that you love love the most? And so, work-life balance is something that comes up a lot. In, in my discussions. And I think that's another myth that there is such a thing as work-life balance. I and mean, let's say you work just eight hours a day. Now, many of you listening to this probably work more than that. And you may need to sleep, if you're like me, seven hours uh, a, a night or maybe more. And how much time does that leave you? Well, you've got you know home chores to do. You've got kids to take to places. You've got you know, all these things that you have to do for going to doctors or paying your bills, how much time does that really leave you for yourself? And, and so sometimes what happens is we, you know, we, we, we begrudge that we don't have more time for ourselves. Now, if the time you have for yourself is only two hours, is that really balance? Well, some would say, no, it's not balance. I should have eight hours for myself. Well, that's not reality. But if you have those two hours, how you spend them is really important. So instead of watching your children play, get in the sandbox with them. Uh, and it, even if it's watching TV, let me give you an example of how we do this with the time that we have. So my youngest son, I mean, he's 20, 22. He, you know, we were, we're watching the, the hockey playoffs right now. The Vegas Golden Knights are our team. And they have been since we lived in Las Vegas and, and they came there and so we're just thrilled. They just made the, uh, the you know, they're going to be going to the Stanley uh, Cup playoffs, the finals. And so, but during this whole series, our son comes over and watches that with us. And so that's a, something that we do. We also have time because we like 
we like movies, but it's not just sitting there mindlessly watching a show. We have made watching a show together something special. So for example, we made a list of all the music composers that we love. So for example, we started with Henry Mancini, you know, who wrote the uh, the Pink Panther themes and, and some of that great music for the 60s and 70s. And we found all the all the movies that he wrote the music scores for. And we, we watched some Pink Panther, but we, start, we, we found movies that we'd never heard of. And we would just watch them because we like, okay, listen, to here's the score, like these horror movies, and it's, it's really strange, like this harpsichord. And, and so we're having an experience watching a movie, not just watching a movie, but we're choosing what to watch. And then we watch the Marvel movies in a unique way. Our son found a timestamp for every single Marvel movie, so we watched them in chronological order as they would happen through time. You know, obviously it's, it's uh, you know, fantasy, but, and so we would watch a part of a movie. Some of it was like 15 minutes, and we'd watch the next one. We'd have to go find it so we could watch a continuous string from the beginning to the end. And it was just a blast. But it's an experience that we share, even if you're just sitting there watching TV or a movie, that it's, it's about the quality of the time. That's what makes life balance. That's what, you know, we have fun doing and discussing and, and, you know, just making the time that we have together better. I don't have I all that it. time to, yeah, to exercise, but like, what did you do today? You went up to the mountains. Why? Because, I, I don't know, it's beautiful up there. When I exercise, I choose to go outside. Why? Because it does something for my soul. I do exercise in the house. I do go to the gym. To me, that's not as fulfilling as when I choose to take the time that I have and do something else with it. And so I think that's what we have to, to look at is choosing to make our lives better by design. One of the things, Spencer, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, because you're absolutely right. One of the things that I, <laughs> as you were talking about this, it, this popped into my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, in actual preparation for uh, uh, teaching at church <laughs> on Sunday. I hear you've uh, been doing that a while. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's been a long while, but, and I, and I thoroughly enjoy it. I really, I really like that. But uh, uh, I was... I was reading this story. Uh, it was actually a study that was uh, uh, conducted by Deloitte of millennials and Gen Z. And there's a lot of stress amongst that generation in the workplace. So a few statistics, uh, 46% of Gen Z surveyed indicated that they are stressed out at work all of the time or most of the time. One third of them mentioned that they're exhausted. They lack energy at work. They feel mentally distant. 42% are struggling to perform to their best abilities. Uh, there's a, there's a lot going on there. And, and as I was reading that, you know, I was again, you know, I'm not an expert in this area, but I was asking uncle Google a little bit more about this and, and negativity and, and, and you can speak uh, to this much better, more authoritatively and eloquently than I can, but you know, oh, I don't believe that. The, the studies, there, there are a range of studies there that show that we have thousands of thoughts a day, many, you know, uh, uh, and including unconscious things. Uh, but the large majority of those thoughts are negative, and you can kind of put those in a few buckets. Uh, you know, one is a pessimism bucket, 
Uh, one is a, a rumination bucket when you're just stewing in your juices about something that's just making you mad. And another one is kind of this perfectionism bucket where you just don't think that you're good enough, you know? And, and I really like what you talked about with your family and having these experiences, because I think everybody needs to cultivate these positive experiences that generate uh, warm feelings. And, and, you know, as a, as an individual, we can do that. We can do that in our homes. And I think as leaders, you know, we should look to try to find ways to do that in our workplace to create positive uh, feedback loops in our teams to to recognize and appreciate people who are working so hard uh, for them to recognize their peers and give gratitude. And, and I, I'm just curious to, to get your take on this, Spencer, because I feel like uh, we are predisposed for whatever reason. I don't know if it's biological, evolutionary, whatever it is. We're, but we may have a predisposition to have these kind of negative thoughts, we, we do. which, which, which contradict, you know, finding they, they impede our ability to find happiness and joy sure. and satisfaction in what we do. And so, you know, what are some of those things that we can do to kind of contradict it? And you just said one of them, which is, hey, I can have these shared experiences with my family doing something as trivial as watching a movie together uh, with a Henry Mancini score. Uh, in a in a workplace environment, what can we do as leaders to kind of foster and cultivate these positive experiences to kind of counteract all the negativity that we find so, in the so environment you're absolutely today? Right. I mean, the negativity is baked into our, our our physiology, our biology, because it's a survival mechanism. It's why we believe negative news over positive news. Because if if the negative news is true, what what's the consequence for us, and how do we stay alive? And so it's it's. Uh, you know, our minds are always focusing on what could potentially go wrong and what is wrong. And, and I personally, my personality actually focuses on the negative naturally much more quickly than, than, than some people. And we've talked about those personality differences for a lot. Some people have a, a, a more difficult time or, or struggle with, as you said, perfectionism or just seeing all the downsides of, of everything. That, that is a natural tendency. But we all have those those fight, flight, or freeze uh, mechanisms that, that can happen. So let me let me share a few things to answer your question. I recruited for the University of Utah uh, School of Business, the David Eccles School of, of, of Business, for um, seven years. I, I don't just call it. Uh, it's not David Eccles, is it? Uh, yeah, it is. Okay, gosh, it's been a while since I've done that. It's like, it's the Eccles School of Business. And, well, it used to be called that. I don't know if it's still called that, but back in yeah. the day, it was, it was called that, yeah. And um, I, I see with, you know, even my own kids, just their experience going to school, all those anxieties that, that you're talking about. And I think part of it has to do with our, our approach to failure and success and feeling like, you know, we have to win at everything that we do. And that can go back to, our experiences in, in little league and, you know, getting awards for just showing up and for everything. And so feeling like we have to get recognized for every little effort that, and, you know, never losing. But reality is, is that sometimes you don't get the job. Sometimes you don't get the top grade in the class. Sometimes you, you know, in high school, you may have been the top 3%, but in college now, all of a sudden you may be middle of the pack and that's creating that anxiety because you're not having that level of success that, that you once had. And, 
when difficulties come at work or in school or whatever that's happening with Gen Z, I think changing the questions that we ask ourselves can help. So for example, say, why is this happening to me? Instead of saying, why is this happening? Change that to what can I learn from this experience? How can I take this and turn it to my advantage? It's, you know, it's the, it's the difference between having that fixed mindset. Well, if I don't get, you know, rewarded for, for my efforts, then I must not be good. And that's where those feelings of, you know, uh, uh, you know, lack of self-worth or imposter syndrome come in because like, you know, sometimes we are imposters. Sometimes we don't have all the information. Instead of, you know, feeling bad about ourselves, say, great, this is an opportunity for me to close a gap and learn and and expand my knowledge and my skill and my experience. So changing the questions that we ask ourselves instead of why me, how can I turn this into a positive? How can I learn from this? What could I, what could I have done differently to get a different outcome going forward? And those are the, the types of thoughts that helps, help us to be more resilient and, and more satisfied because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a few stories. So my, and I'm going to talk about Gen Z right now. So I'm coaching a, a Gen Z uh, executive, just a great kid. And he's a kid. I mean, he actually started working for one of my clients out of high school, did not go to college. And I have permission to tell the story. I'm not going to tell his name or the company or anything. I, I actually asked him, you know, I'm, hey, I'm going to talk about this topic today. Can I talk about our experience? And as I was coaching him, his question was, you know, I, I don't know if I love my job. And he does a lot of uh, administrative work and a lot of analysis and, and just, you know, he's highly analytical. He's, he's very structured and, and rule bound. And he's part of a company that's growing and changing. And so there's a lot of <clears throat> uncertainty about policy and process and he's creating a lot of those things and so it's stressful it's like you know is there something better out there i don't i don't feel like i'm doing something that really matters i mean it's the the business is is let's call it a, a, a type of construction that is pretty basic and so it's like how am i making the world a better place am i even doing something that that matters these are all the questions that are going through his mind and, and not necessarily loving the work that he does. So one of the things that we did, Christian, uh, to answer your question, is we identified what's important to you. What are your values? What what? And, and there's a process to identifying true core values. I'm not talking about aspirational values or things that already exist within you that are important to you. And finding those, I think, is very, very important because then it helps you to, under, to align What's important to you with what you do? Because once you understand what's important to you, and if you can somehow connect that to what you do, that's a source of satisfaction and happiness in work. And he realized that there was a connection. I actually got a quote from him. He said, um, he says his satisfaction since we've been talking is increasing. Now, whether or not it's actually true, I'm reading is I'm choosing to declare that for myself. It is hard to tell in such a short time, but I'm focusing on the good. This is kind of what we've been talking about, right? Since we reviewed my core values together, I am able to see characteristics of my workplace that work with my personality. There are things that definitely don't fit, but nothing is perfect. That's one of the things we discussed. So what happens if you go somewhere else? It's not going to be perfect there either. 
So how do you identify and, and, and figure out what are those things that, that make, your, make you happy? The mindset is the most important piece. My being an anxious, me being an anxious individual, which is talking about what you're talking about, right? It's just based on the statistics. This is a real life. I, mean, I just got this this morning. Right. I tend to default to focusing on the negatives. So this is not just you and I spewing what we think. This is, this is real. Expressing gratitude and positivity could be the core for somebody like me struggling to feel co content in their work. This is something that I'm working on, and it is something that I'm implementing with my team. So one of the things that we have been focusing on is another way to find satisfaction, and that is developing your own personal skills growing beyond what, you know, just doing the regular task, whether it's a payroll person or you're putting in insulation and laying bricks, how can you, how can you challenge yourself? Maybe to, to make it a more of an art form, maybe to learn how to teach others. And in this young man's case, he is responsible for now a team of people at a very young age. And so he is finding satisfaction in developing his team and learning how to do that and helping them, not by having all the answers, but by helping them grow. And so that's a, a, a next level for this individual that he's getting excited about because that means he is seeing his team grow. And so now he's building relationships that are meaningful. And he's starting to recognize it's not just about laying sod or, or you know, putting in sprinklers. It's about how we do that work. It's about creating that environment where people want to show up and they feel like they're they're cared for and they feel like they're given opportunities. So that's one story, and I have I have two more to, to, to share with you. But I, I, all right, I well, what do you think? Before you get to the before to get you get to your next stories, I just want to say I have tremendous respect and admiration for people who work in the trades. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I grew up in that working for my grandfather, who was a tradesman, uh, as a carpenter, as a painter. But I, I remember driving down Redwood Road with my grandfather in his old truck. And as we were driving down, he pointed to the sidewalks. He said, you see those sidewalks? I love it. I helped pour the concrete in those sidewalks when I worked in the WPA, so you remember in the Great Depression, they they created these, these uh, work programs, work programs, so that people could work. And you think, you know, oh, I just lay sod. Oh, I just install roofing. I, I, I just, you know, I nailed boards, uh, making the world uh, a be more beautiful yeah, place. Yes, absolutely. I feel like the trades you know, anybody that can walk by and say, you know what, I did that. You know, they yeah. point to that. I put that roof on that house. I cooked this meal for this family for their wedding. I, I you know, whatever. I, I just think there's so much there that, the, the, you know, you might think that your job is drudgery, but you're actually bringing a lot of joy to the people that you serve in the trades. And, and for, for me, it was really heartening to see my grandfather, you know, 50 years after he had done this work, point to it and say, with pride, 
I did that. I'm sure that he didn't really enjoy it at the time. That was backbreaking work, you know, but, you know, to be able with a little bit of age and perspective to kind of look back on things and say, you know, I built this, I did this, uh, which was something that was lasting. It had permanence. Um, it brought him a, a tremendous amount of pride. And, and, and for me, like I say, I just have huge admiration uh, and respect for people who work in the trades because you do have impacts on the everyday lives of people and you can make their life a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more joyful just because of the things that you're doing, because you installed this plumbing, you installed the electricity that allowed them to watch their favorite show in chronological order with their children. And, and, and uh, I, think I just, I think is, it's, I think it's wonderful. And I think that is a key to happiness is to connect what you do with how you make the world a better place. And sometimes we forget that we get stuck in the drudgery and it's like, Hey, we are making the world a better place. Uh, we have a comment from Carla Klein, who uh, always so grateful for that joining our, our show today, listening from, from Canada. Uh, and she says, uh, she quotes as leaders have a responsibility to how their teams feel about themselves when they go home. So she gives us high five for, for that. Thank you for, for, uh, for listening and, and commenting, Carla. Um, you know, there's a, there's a book in a, in an article that I, that I shared with you, how to be happier at, at, at work. And the book is called the good enough job by Simone Stoltzoff, the good enough job. And, you know, he, he's somebody that's interviewed hundreds of, of people about what makes them happy at work. And there was a couple of surprising, uh, to me, not really surprising, but the idea of the good enough job is kind of what we're talking about. There is no perfect job. But how do you make the good enough job great? And, you know, he was talking about, for example, a, a five-star chef that works at a, you know, top-of-the-line restaurant may, after a time, just not be happy or, or engaged. But if he takes those skills and cooks a, an amazing meal for five of his closest friends, now he's having an experience that is bringing joy to people. And sometimes taking those skills that we have and using them in a way that makes the world a better place just helps us reconnect to the joy of what we do. I'm sure he got into cooking because he loved it, but after a time, it, it becomes rote or, or repetitive or unfulfilling. So find ways to do that. And one of the, the ways to do that is to be more multifaceted than just who you are at work. Don't just be, you know, the payroll clerk. That's who I am. When people say, what do you do? Do you make that, uh, is there more to you than just the job that you do on a daily basis? I mean, if you think about investing, do you just invest in one stock? Or do you invest in multiple stocks so that you have a greater chance of success? If you look at, at, at uh oil companies do they just drill one hole or do they you know one well or do they drill many film companies do they just make one movie or do they make many because not all of them succeed there's a the, the same of uh, same same goes for us we need to develop multiple skills we need to have more facets to our our just our life so that we're not just who we are at work i'm going to share another story about someone that i that i'm coaching who is an incredibly dedicated regional manager for uh, for this company uh, based out of Michigan and cares about his team, 
He is loyal. He's dedicated. He's worked with the company for 20 years. But outside of work, he doesn't have strong relationships. Doesn't have, he has, he likes to garden, right? But not much more than that. And so what ends up happening, Christian, is the problems that show up at work increase in magnitude. Because there's nothing to balance them out. It's, it's, it's the whole world that exists around work. So this is a argument for developing your interests and parts of your personality outside of work. What is your identity outside of work? Christian, you, you mentioned you are teaching uh, uh, Sunday school and you have for years. You, you have a skill outside of that. You have, you're an entrepreneur. You have <coughs> consulting business where you consult major organizations, quasi-government organizations, the, the Olympic Committee. Um, you have interests in music. I've listened to your YouTube videos where you're playing guitar. You have, uh, I think, great appreciation for music. You love great Mexican food and also great uh, <laughs> other foods. You enjoy being with friends and, and, and you enjoy being with your, your children. You and I and your son went and discovered a, a great barbecue place when we were in Dallas and had a great time, right? So it's not just that you're, you're not just Reconto. You have so much more to your personality, which is one of the reasons I think you enjoy what you do. What, what do you say to that? No, I think it's important. It's important to have these uh, interests that A, bring you joy and B, bring you perspective. Uh, because like you said, um, if if you're just all in on one particular thing, then it becomes all consuming and you cannot accurately judge the size or impact of things because everything seems enormous. That's all that you see is right, uh, is right in front of you. Yep. So I think you're I think your point is absolutely well taken. You know, one thing that uh, I, I know we're we're running up against it on the time, but one thing that you mentioned before we started is is you know one thing you can do to to make sure that you find happiness and passion in the workplace is to take advantage of opportunities that may stretch you that help you grow. And I'm I'm curious your thoughts on that. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, you and I have talked about not just focusing on our strengths, but, but working on our, our weaknesses, those endeavors take, excuse me, hold on. Those endeavors take energy. I mean, working on our strengths is, is satisfying. It's not hard because we, we've already developed the neural pathways and it's easier for us to do. And so, you know, our, our, our brains want to save energy, but when we do something new for the first time, it takes energy, it takes effort. And as long as it's not something Christian that is insuperable or just unachievable and so we become defeated or deflated now we can always learn from that but if it's something that stretches us and makes us uncomfortable when we eventually develop those competencies that enable us to succeed there's a great euphoria that comes there's a great satisfaction that that we experience because we have overcome something difficult why do we value you know, the, the, the championship that was so hard won because it means more for us to have won it when it was hard to get there. If, if, you know, if we achieve a goal that didn't take any effort, we don't value what it took to achieve that goal. And so 
that that's not a that's not a valuable result. But if something is is expensive in effort and time and and energy, well, then the value increases. And so I think you know you shared stories in the past of how you took on projects that were outside of your expertise, and what was the result of that when you were able to have success? Well, it, br- it brought a lot of satisfaction, uh, and it also uh, allowed me to to take on other opportunities that I might not have otherwise had, you know, I'd like to actually give an example of my, of my son, uh, Zachary. I, I hopefully Zachary, I won't embarrass you here, but, uh, <laughs> he, he is very, very bright, but sometimes is not confident in his abilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we recently had, uh, a need to change the approach or the the system that we're using in Raconto that does our uh, transcription. And uh, we needed to come up with something that met a certain number of requirements for clients and also that uh, would allow us to do it in a cost-effective way. And I asked Zach, because he has done a lot of just tinkering around with with uh, all of these large language models, the AI stuff, um, the visual stuff, you know, if he could come up with some kind of a solution. And, and he was excited, but at the same time reticent because he's like, well, dad, I'm not really a software developer. It's not, I, I, you know, it's not my thing. But he dove into it and he figured this out. And what he has built is awesome i i i you know i couldn't believe it i ended up using it last week on a project and it did transcription and translation uh on a par with human transcription not so much on the translation side uh and was able to generate subtitles i i just i couldn't believe what he had created and i don't even know if he could believe what he created but because he did that and he spent a lot of time learning about things, teaching himself, you know, reading forums on Reddit, watching videos on YouTube, uh, you know, doing a lot of stuff in various communities and bringing a, a variety of tools together, he is now at a point where uh, he's one interview away from a software development position that could potentially change his life. And it's all because even though he had some trepidation, he's like, okay, well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take a stab at this. I will try it. And uh, I couldn't be more proud as a, as a father, you know, as a parent to see him stretch himself and overcome his fear and his lack of confidence to, tried to learn something new and different. And he just absolutely, in my, you know, biased opinion, he hit it out of the park. My little box stayed on. I don't know how that happened, but um, that is such a great story. So last story, and then I'm going to summarize all the ideas that, that we've talked about in a couple that, that we haven't. 
Um, so we're talking about Gen Z, and, and we have some experience with my clients and also our children. My son, Josh, is now in his fourth year of doing summer sales, and he's been doing that to pay for his education. He's now, this, uh, this Saturday, will have had his first year anniversary uh, being married, so he has responsibilities now. But he did summer sales for three years, pest control. I mean, I don't know that that's a, a job that you can get fired up about and be happy but he, he had great experiences. He enjoyed going to different places around the country, Cincinnati, Chicago, Orlando. You know, each summer he went to a different city and, and made that a, you know, a great experience with the team that he was with. Well, this year he started doing something differently because a, a friend of his that he served a mission with in the Philippines invited him to do uh, solar sales. And he started early this year because he wanted to, to really learn it. And there were, there were lots of challenges. I mean, the, the, the setting team that would set appointments for him wasn't developed and they needed help. He himself needed to learn all kinds of different skills. And he was frustrated at times, but he, he enjoyed uh, when he had great appointments and he could have success. And he has you know high, high goals for himself. I just had a conversation with him Saturday. And we're talking, he just calls and said, you know, just to talk. And he's... He's in, uh, you know, Western Florida by, by Tampa, and he's uh, having some great success. He talks about how much he just loves his job and two reasons why he's happy in his job. One of them you just mentioned, and that is learning and growing and acquiring new skills is an absolute key for being successful because at, at some point you, you, if you reach a plateau and you're not learning you're not growing you're not being challenged things become stale so stretching yourself is just we're designed to grow constantly you're either you're either growing or you're, you're dying right and so continue to press forward and challenge yourself to to learn new things how to even do better what you do to be more efficient so he's he's learning and that's great and secondly he's having success and that feels good i mean it just feels good just as your son you know to be able to create an outcome that you could celebrate is is great but he didn't get there without hardship and frustration and difficulty so if you give up when you hit that frustration or those fears or those doubts you don't get to that that point where you you have that great experience so let's let's summarize a couple of things happiness at work number one identify your core values and see hopefully they align with what you do if they don't think about how you can do more it's called job crafting how you can do more of what is important to you at work and and some companies are really i think if you're listening to this and you're a manager of people allowing your people to create have some freedom in, in creating a little bit of their own job description um, is, is brilliant. It's called job crafting. And I think that's something that can really, if, if people have a little more control over the work they do, that's a way to increase their, their happiness. And that's something managers can do for their people is to allow them to, you know, within reason, you don't want to just say, Hey, I, I, I just want to not do anything at work. No, but something that is creating value for the business and the individual having say over that is, is a great idea. Diversify your interests. Not just, don't be unidimensional, you know, invest in other hobbies and, and interests outside of work so that you are 
your identity is not just what you do at work. It's more than that. And I think that is something that will help you increase your satisfaction in life and, and in work. Invest in relationships. Relationships, we are designed to connect. I know there's a, there's a trend right now with a lot of young people to just withdraw from society and relationships in general. One in ten are just saying, I don't want friends. I don't want, I don't want close connections. They just want to achieve success on their own. And they're finding that that's adding to mental illness and depression and all kinds of, uh, of challenging issues. So, so connect and build relationships. Um, develop your talents at work and, and, and push yourself as we've been talking about. Set goals. Have goals that, are, that, that make you a little nervous but that challenge you. Stop worrying about work-life work balance and make the time that you do have richer by being more purposeful with the time that you do have. Focus on the quality of life, not just the quantity of the time that you have. Those are some of the ideas that I have. Anything that you feel like I missed? Oh, I don't know. We could talk about this for hours, and I'm sure we just scratched the surface on the topic. But, uh, Spencer, this has been a fascinating conversation, as it always is. If uh, people who are listening or viewing this podcast, that they want to learn more about how you could potentially help them find more uh, happiness and passion in their own workplaces, uh, either for themselves or, or to grow their team and uh, have and more satisfying uh, team experiences and improve their team performance, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? I love it if you just message me on LinkedIn, Spencer Horn, LinkedIn. You can also check out our website, altiumleadership.com, A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. And Christian, your uh, incredibly valuable experience and, and expertise how can people uh, learn more from from uh, you and Raconto and how it can help their business? Uh, we're here and happy to serve. Uh, just reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Christian Napier. Look at uh, Christian Napier on LinkedIn. You'll find me there. And uh, thank you so much uh, for a wonderful hour of conversation, Spencer. And listeners and viewers, thank you so much for joining us uh, over all these years, over more than 100 episodes uh, since the pandemic it? started. And uh, yeah, it's 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 fascinating, uh, and the journey for us, I think, has just begun. So, listeners, viewers, please like and subscribe to our podcast. We'll catch you again soon.